0: another series of Individuality Unleashed. And today, we're going to be talking about what marketers can track and advertise given all the changes in data privacy. And I'm pleased to be here joined in a studio by Joshua Rickoff, a career CDO. Josh,
1: welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me.
0: Not a problem. Right. Let's dig straight in. Sure. So, Josh, give the viewers a little bit of a view of your background and sure. your experience.
1: Yeah. So, I've been in the industry for 28 years. Uh, started out as an e-commerce developer. Uh, worked on one of the first commercial e-commerce platforms, uh, and then was a lead developer on another e-commerce platform. That um, so it gave me some good foundation. Right. Um, started up a couple of companies in the space, and then uh, really got my you know cut my teeth over the last couple of years as chief digital and information officer over at Diane von Furstenberg. Uh, did the same title at Marquee Brands, Revolutionizing, Destination Maternity, and BCBG, oh, yeah? and had some previous stints at, at Kmart, at Carmeloop uh, Loop, uh, David Ureman, as well as uh, Urban Decay Cosmetics.
0: Okay, that's credibility granted. So. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. All right. So... Let's, let's start. Before we get into some more of the detail, let's just start with a bit of the basics. Sure. Why should a marketer care about data privacy today?
1: It's, a, it's a, obviously a hot button issue. I mean, look, advertising has been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years. You walk around the streets of Pompeii, you see it on billboards, you know, the billboards with the size of the buildings. So what's amazing about it is there are 136 countries with data privacy laws on the, on the books. Wow. You know, you have three U.S. states um, who have data privacy. And, and in early June, the U.S. government released the first draft of the federal data privacy laws. You know, so obviously Apple, huge company. They put out, you know, in iOS 14.5 was released. of iPhone users opted out of of mobile tracking.
0: Yeah, you could argue that actually what the big tech platforms do, you know, the folks like Apple is
1: even more consequential than governments. Absolutely. And considering their place in the world, I mean, Google, they have the Android, they have Android Auto, they have Android, the operating system, and they have Google Chrome. Right. And interestingly enough, they are end-of-life third-party cookies. So marketers are now running scared because they're like, wait a minute, we grew up with this technology, what do we do now?
0: Right, exactly. So let's just take a moment, yeah. um, and if you could describe, just because you know we all talk about this stuff all the time as marketers, but. Sometimes definitions are important, so could you describe the difference between third and first party cookies? Yeah How so
1: them? First party cookies is you know sort of a staple. They, that was what started the web, and in, in essence, it's personable, personal identifiable, identifiable information or PII, right That's an email address, that's a phone number, that's um, in, information about what you like and, and your ability to opt in to what you like. so you can get cool SMS messages, marketing messages, you know they can pop ads at you you. And they're all based on your likes and your interests. Third-party cookies is a little bit more awkward, right? So what that is, is basically people will drop a cookie on your desktop, and your mobile browser, on an app, but they're, you're not opting into it. So you're getting served up ads for things that are clearly unrelated. So I'm a guy, right? And I like the New York Giants. But if you, I go to the New York Giants website, I'm getting ads for like, David Yerman and, uh, you know, Stella McCartney. And I'm like, I'm a guy. Like, I want guy stuff. I don't want to be looking at a pair of heels. And so that's the interesting thing is that with third-party cookies, it's all anonymous. And they're trying to figure out what you like and what you don't like, which means it just feels awkward. It's a hard thing to work through. Right. So um,
0: explain how marketers then, you know, we, we, we all know Third-party cookies are being deprecated. Lots of talk in the industry about how we will need to move to, to first-party data. When we think about first-party cookies in particular, how can actually marketers start to implement and leverage first-party cookies?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And the cool thing is we're talking 1996 technology. Right. It's always been there, right? The web was founded in 1994 or 1992, if you believe Al Gore. And ironically, the technology has been there since basically the invention of Netscape. So what's cool is that there's such a concept of local storage. So third-party cookies, were, you're basically putting in bytes, right? You're, you're getting some tracking information. You're getting a, a little taste. Right. Local storage is essentially, you can see your entire browser history. You can, and it goes for months. It's a huge amount of data that you can s- save on there. So you're not dealing with you know, spy, uh, sizes of file size. Right. You're not looking at restrictions. You're able to manage something that most marketers love. You get, the, you get six months of history. You know? And so the idea is it drops an ID on a person's desktop, and the idea is, well, once a person identifies themselves with an email address or a phone number or an, a physical address, that ID then converts over. So you get a much better sense for who those people are and it's opt-in. People want the information. So it's a fun way of getting in front of them and saying, hey, look, we're not only getting your, you know, your, just your transactional information, we're now getting your interests. What do you like? What don't you like? How do you interact with the web? What sites do you go to? What periphery sites do you go to? So it's a classic Google argument, right? Google makes it easy to create an email address. They want right. you to log in. And what do they get? They get your entire search history. And most people don't close the window. So they are just keep on getting your entire life until either you shut down your computer or you clear your cash, which I don't know anyone who does. <laughs> so then it just turns into this mountain of information that mar- it's a marketer's dream. Because now you get to see, oh, you're really interested in, you know, shoes? Great. Here are the five websites that you're interested in. Now, let me steer you to a It's a phenomenal opportunity.
0: So, all right, thinking about that from an opportunity perspective, how do you measure success?
1: Yeah, you know what? It's actually, there's, you know, a couple of staples, right? There's conversions. Right, conversions are, you know, a good way of saying, okay, I get a person, I get them to buy. What's the conversion rate? Right. very simple, very straightforward. It's conversion rate, right? Like I come to a website, I want to engage with you. How long does it take to, for you to go from a, being a casual interested user to actually being converted into a you know a paid customer? And then how do you do a second time and a third time? And a fourth time, and it's all about customer journey and customer lifetime value. It gives you much more detailed empirical data versus sort of like that casual view. And then the last thing is click revenue, right? A lot of big companies really track, and small companies as well, of when you click on an email, what does it mean in terms of conversion? Like Wonderkin does an amazing job at this because at the end of the day, it's Here's a triggered email. It was a personalized message of, hey, thank you so much for purchasing or thank you for joining. And then looking at that email and saying, okay, did a person convert? Did a person click on it? And what kind of revenue did that drive? That one message.
0: How have you actually used uh, Wonderkin in in the past? And and give us a little bit of view of your experience. Yeah,
1: Yeah, Wonderkin's my staple. Like my, Wonderkin is the company that I go into. You know, most of the companies I use or, or I've worked on are distressed there are turnaround situations they need help. Right. And so Wonderkin what they're amazing at is they're like services a service business. There's opportunity there to say, look, I I can't do it all. And email should be one of my top performing channels. If not the top performing channel, it's cheap, it's easy, and it's personalized. And so what Wonderkin does very very well is that they are good at getting people to understand the message, you're personalizing, so it's one-to-one versus one-to-many, and you can really get personalized on it. You can get, instead of putting together like a mass blast, you can say, oh, you're interested in acts, you're interested in wallets, you're interested in sunglasses. Not different than another person who might be interested in like blue sunglasses or yellow sunglasses. You can get that very interactive, personalized message and do it very effectively.
0: Now, one of the things that um, I personally found very interesting about wanakin before uh, I actually uh, joined, which is kind of attracted me to speak to the company, was the way that um, they were delivering technology and services but not in a traditional software as a service model. It was really kind of revenue as a service. We're going to hit these minimum guarantees for you. And if we don't, we're going to work for free until we do. And we're going to participate in the success which is graded based on how well we do. So completely fundamental shift from the traditional software-as-a-service business, which is like, here's some software that you can access over the internet. Um, you know, you pay us a certain amount of money each year. You can, you can log on.
1: Uh, good luck. Yeah. Um, and that's a performance marketing approach, too. Right. Like, a lot of performance marketing agencies, your ad agencies will do it based on not only based on spend, but they'll also say, what kind of revenue do we do it? But if you look at the traditional email companies and sort of the traditional marketing activities, organic search, Mm. you know, email, you don't normally see that. What's great is Wonderkin's your partner. I worked on these distressed companies. I need partners. I need people who will go into battle with me. And it can't just be hires. It has to be third parties. Right. The difference between a Wonderkin and some of the other companies out there is, they're kind of like, here's a flat rate. This is what it is. You just you know pay it, whether it works or it doesn't work. That's not our job. That's your job. Right. Wonderkin is your true partner here. They're saying, you know, at Destination Maternity, we had to flip the business in like two weeks. And most people would be like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. How do you do that? That's impossible. And the reality is what we did was we pulled into Wunderkind. So we had our other partners who were just on a traditional uh, pay-as-you-go model. Wunderkind basically was like, we'll put our stake in the ground. We hit these numbers, you pay us. you don't hit those numbers, we'll continue to work until we hit those numbers. And that's a huge advantage.
0: Yeah, I actually think it's a bit of a, um, a challenge to the industry at large because um, you know it's kind of put where put your money where your mouth is. Yeah, you know, um, exactly. if, if you if you think your software and your service is going to deliver X, well, don't just say that in
1: your marketing slides. Say it in your contracts. Yeah, exactly. And look, at the end of the day, so much of this is about your relationship with your third parties. You want you're going into a battle. And you have to have not only small wins, but big wins. The problem is when you're going into companies, any size company, mm. you need to be able to find those key partners who are not only gonna grow with you, but put, to use your term, put their money where their mouth is. You have, usually there's only one or two. And as long as you find those parties and find those partners, you can scale a business very well. Make CFOs happy, and of course they're excited too. Right,
0: right, which if they're happy, we're all happy. Exactly. <laughs> That's <laughs> definitely the case. Awesome. Josh, Thank you very much for joining us in the studio and imparting some of your wisdom. Well, folks, that's been Individuality Unleashed.